This episode of Truth's Table is brought to you by Dwell Audio Bible App. Dwell's mission is to help you get in the Word and stay in the Word. Visit dwellapp.io slash truthstable to get 10% off a yearly subscription or 33% off Dwell for Life. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, C. How you doing, girl? Well, I'm I'm living out here in, in, in Elsa's castle from um, <laughs> from the movie Frozen. That's how I'm doing. How are you doing? I did, I did not move to the South for this, okay? That's why I left oh the Midwest. Stop it. Stop it. Hey, I'm I am good. I am good. You know, yes. I, I mean, I, I don't know. If, I'm not in Elsa's, you know, couch. <laughs> you know, but you know, it's cold. There's there's a little snow on yeah. the ground, yes. but you know, it's all right. I'm grateful for shelter. Yes. You're, okay. You're, li- you're living in my part of the country, so it's, you know, it's a, it's 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 a peaceable place. A peaceable That's place. It. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and I'm just really, really. Um, First of all, I'm just excited about this series. We gonna yes. learn today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am just so excited about who we have at the table. We have yes. our friend Zakia Jackson at the table with yes. us. Hey, Zakia, yes. how you doing, girl? Hey, hey, I'm doing <laughs> great. I'm thinking about uh, the people in the South. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please think about them and pray for them. Yes, all of us. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I'm doing good today. Yes, we're so glad to have you at the table. And y'all, um, just in case you don't know what we finna talk about today, we are in the series, We Gonna Learn Today. And the topic on the table is educational inequity, which is why we have our brilliant sister, Zakia Jackson, at the table. And let me tell you a little something mm-hmm. about this sister, okay? Zakia is the vice president of advocacy for the Expectations Project, where she oversees advocacy campaigns and executes learning experiences on education equity, emphasizing systemic policy changes. She also engages in strategic planning for faith communities and clergy to utilize their experience as they advocate for change. Zakia loves to help people grow, heal, and transform their pursuit of justice and equity. Working in public schools, nonprofits, and corporations for over 16 years, Zakia believes in addressing systemic problems individually and corporately. She started her career as a preschool teacher and social worker. She went on to get her MBA and now works extensively with communities of faith and generally with people of color addressing justice issues. She is based in Washington, D.C. Zakia loves taking long walks, supporting local businesses, visiting the National Museum of African American History and Culture, and otherwise enjoying her community. Welcome to the table, Zakia. <laughs> it is so wonderful to be here. Um, you know, I just I feel really blessed to, first of all, just have a conversation with the two of you, but then also to um, to be at this table and um, hopefully 
share some things that are helpful to all the wonderful people who follow you all. Yes. Well, you know, I'm, we're happy to have you here and I am looking forward to learning from you because we, we, we really going to learn today. Um, (laughs) School us, please. I want to learn. I got my notebook (laughs) and I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) I'm wondering, Zakia, can you talk to us and before we even do a deep dive into what Mm -hmm. is crazy and going on um, with Mm -hmm. our educational system. Can you um, talk to us and explain to us what is the difference between inequality and um, inequity? Like what's the difference or even what's the difference between that? Because sometimes people say equality or they'll say equity and we don't, and they'll use it synonymously. But what does it mean? What do those terms mean and how should we um, employ them? Great. That's really great. Um, A very, very, very simple way to say it, and then I'll give uh, an example, is that equality is giving everyone the same thing, making sure everyone gets the very same thing. Uh, Equity is is making sure people get what they need to thrive. Okay. And so a great example of that might be um, if... I am, I, uh, some of you may have seen this image, actually. Let's say that I am only five feet tall. Okay. Okay. Right? And my, Shout my, out to our five foot sisters at the table. Come on, sis. Love you. And uh, I am 5'8". Mm-hmm. If I go into the kitchen and reach up to the, uh, well, or, or my friend is 5'8". If she mm-hmm. goes into the kitchen to get something out of the upper cupboard, she might be fine. She might need to get on her tippy toes a little bit, right? But she can open the door and get whatever she needs out of that upper cupboard, right? Whatever's up there. My five foot tall person gonna need a stepladder, right? Like it's not gonna work to just easily reach up there and get whatever is needed out of the cupboard. Did the five foot person do something wrong? No. (laughs) Right. Like did the five foot tall sis, like not try her hardest Mm -hmm. to reach the upper levels of the cupboard. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not about all that. She is not tall enough to reach the upper level of the cupboard. Mm -hmm. So she needs a stepladder. And so often in um, if we're talking about education or even other justice issues, it's like everyone gets the equal thing. And that's what's fair. Mm. It's like, well, no, actually, that's not fair if the equal thing does not help the person get what Mm. they need. Mm. Um, And so that's a a simple way to explain the difference between inequality and inequity. That's so helpful. Zakia, thank you so much. And, you know, as as you were talking, I was, I kept thinking about, hmm, and those, and those general contractors that built those cupboards, right. And who they had, who they had in mind, who they they didn't have in mind, right. When they built those. Thank you for making that so, so clear for us. You know, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, as a, as a mom and as an auntie, I am, um, and, and as, as a human out here, I am really, really concerned because <laughs> I'm fully a human out here. I am really concerned about um, our children's educational experiences. And um, mm-hmm. I know that you have dedicated hours, life <laughs> to uh, to this really important work. And But yet many of us are 
are, are ignorant to, to really what's happening and what's going on. So if, I mean, if this was a segment like on, you know, on a, a major news network of what you need to know that's happening in education that you don't realize is happening in education, what are some of the things that you would want people to immediately draw their, their mind's eye to? Hmm, thank you. I, you know, the first thing I want people to know is that our school system was never created to serve all children well. It's important to understand that mm-hmm. because I think it helps us understand inequity better. Our school system started for white land-owning ma- kids from male children, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that was a very small percentage of of young people in in where we reside now in these United States, Mm -hmm. if you will, even before we were um, named as a country. Mm -hmm. And so everything has continued to derive and build from that. But the foundation was never good. The foundation was never strong. Mm -hmm. And that is how we have things that are as as exacerbated and as aggressively inequitable as they are. Um, and so it's important to understand that as a framework. The second mm-hmm. thing is that it's really important to understand in the context of um, public education, the vast majority of children, Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Native, and so on, attend public schools. <laughs> and and so I think that like 90% or more. So that's just, again, another important contexting. Let's understand what we're talking about when we're, when we're talking about the pros and cons of privatization, when we're talking about um, a, a bunch of different, often desi- divisive topics. Mm-hmm. Let's understand that our babies, for the most part, are in public school, <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. And, so, and so it does us well to care deeply even if our specific child is not in public school, it does us well to, to care deeply about the state of public education, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the last, the last thing I would say <laughs> is that we have to make a choice on if we want all children to receive a high quality education. And if that is our commitment, if that's what we want more than anything else, it'll really radicalize, I think, the way we view reform and changing um, public education mm-hmm. and education at large, because it's not just public education that needs better support. It's education at large. So. Mm. Yeah, that's so good, Zakia. I'm, I'm, I'm curious because when you, when you threw out that stat about fact that you know black and brown um children like there's the majority of us go to pu- public schools i'm one you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a product of public schools and I, i'm curious about uh why is it that that um those are maybe more accessible uh for for us than maybe private schools or charter schools like how do these uh different institutions mm-hmm. come to be and uh, you know, yeah, and and yeah. So, like, why? How come private schools not the default? Maybe for for us, or maybe charter schools are not always the default. Can you talk to us about, um, you know, why these different institutions exist and how they came to be, and um, yeah, and just how it is that we we typically uh, uh, are uh, in public schools? Yeah. Um. So. In the, particularly in, in the South, this is a in, really interesting piece of data. Um, Brown versus Board of Education was this this law that that spoke to segregation in schools, right? Mm-hmm. That it's no longer adequate to say separate but equal. 
Uh, this was in 1952. Between 1950 and 1965, the increase in private school enrollment in the South increased 120%. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. 120%. <laughs> so what I'm saying to you, clutch your pearls if you must. I'm Southern too. I understand. I, I actually went to a private Christian school for part of my education. I also okay. went to public school. Uh-huh. Private schools rose out of racist intentions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Extremely racist intentions mm-hmm. to, to keep precious, quote unquote, precious, white, pure children away from us, mm-hmm. right? So, so that, that caused a huge increase in private education. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that we have to contend with as black families and black parents and, and, and people of color knowing I had a very interesting conversation just the other day with two other black women. We were talking about our education experiences, high school, middle school, college as well. And I went to a private institution for college and Mm -hmm. I had a really good educational, uh, I mean, I had a good degree, right? I got good grades. I set myself up well in in many ways however i found that experience to be in many ways dehumanizing to my blackness right Mm. and that matters too right that and that that happened in my middle school when i was at a private white christian middle school there are a lot of things that were dehumanizing to my blackness in that experience. So we have that element of things that we're thinking about and contending with. I don't have children. I have many nieces and nephews, but I don't want to pretend that I know exactly what you're experiencing, for example, right, Christina, because I don't have children. Um, But then the other thing is, let's say, you know, some parents utilize vouchers, right? 50% or more is the average amount that parents still need to pay to a private school when they get a voucher. Mm-hmm. And 50% when tuition is 10000 a year hmm. or yeah. 20000 a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it depends on the school for sure. Even if you get it on the cheap, cheap, right? You get private education at a much uh, reduced cost. Uh, that that can still be a lot of money that a parent and a family has to come up with, right? So there's that financial barrier in terms of private education. Um, and then you also asked uh, about charters. Some charters are private. Yeah. Some charters are public. It really depends. Hmm. I'll say the the... I don't know that it's fair to say charters began in the 80s, but I do think as we know them, they, they kind of really started getting strong in the 80s and, and into the, the 90s. The intention of at least public charters was to create some competition and to also provide another option and a stronger option for kids most in need. Okay. That is not always the case in present day. And in fact, data suggests that charters on average are not more helpful to mm-hmm. black and brown kids, low income kids, right? And so so that goes back to the question I asked earlier. Do we really want to help these children? Do we? <laughs> do, do we really want to? Because sometimes in charters mm. you'll find, not always, 
Mm-hmm. I know that there are shining, brilliant, beautiful examples of mm-hmm. charter schools that are doing good things for black and brown kids, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but on, I'm talking about uh, on average, as we look across the board, um, they're not more helpful. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they don't, they, they stack their numbers, essentially. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but I said it. <laughs> they, stack, they stack their numbers in terms of expelling more black and brown kids so that their, okay. their numbers are, are, are higher. Um, having the same sort of behavioral over-disciplining of black and brown students mm-hmm. in charters. So in my opinion, a charter school is good if it does good to our children. <laughs> if it doesn't expel the board, if it doesn't yeah. uh, um, uh, participate in explicit and implicit uh, aggressive, you know, racial discrimination yeah. towards our children. So I've kind of said a lot. I want to pause yeah. and see. Yeah. No, Zaki, no. I, I, have, I do have a quick follow up on that because uh, yeah. uh, when you say ex- when they do expel or, you know, you know, punish, you know, our babies, does that contribute uh, to the um, school to prison pipeline in that case with regard to charters? I know in public school, it can definitely, certainly mm-hmm. um, put you there. Is that, is that, is that the case with charter schools as well? When that, when that type of discipline, disproportionate discipline happens to our babies? Yeah. You know, I would say that, 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 um, is is that charters and private schools are a part of that issue as well it it i don't have data on this but i but 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 at least anecdotally i'll say i know that um sometimes our kids are at a, a charter or maybe a private school because there was trouble in the public school <laughs> amen <laughs> and the parents <laughs> were like i have a family member who's who's who um, had trouble in public school, put put her black son in a private school. A private school white teacher hit her son. So she had to take her son out of the private school and she decided to just homeschool, right? But what if that wasn't an option? What if she couldn't homeschool, you know? And where, where does that child end up and are they at risk now that they've been labeled with any sort of whatever behavioral thing they've been labeled with back in a, in a public school? Got it. Wow. Thank you for that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That information just so our sisters get a better, you know, just a better grasp mm-hmm. of what, the, what happens, you know, when, when, ex- and, you know, when, when our children are expelled or punished, um, there's some severe consequences um, yeah. for that. And um, why don't we pause for a commercial break? And when we come back, we got more questions for Zakia. Uh, so stay tuned, y'all. Hey, y'all. Now, you know, we take the Bible seriously here at Truth's Table. Did you know that Dwell Audio Bible app is a preferred audio Bible for people who want to get in the Word and stay in the Word? With several inspiring voices, Bible translations, and original background music, you're going to love listening to Scripture. They have listening plans to help you to start a daily habit of engaging with God through one of Dwell's many Bible listening plans. They even have a sleep timer so you and your family can fall asleep to your favorite books and stories of the Bible without losing your spot or draining your battery. End your day with God's word in your ears and on your heart. 
you can make Dwell your very own. In the For You section, you can see your favorites, your plans, your downloads, your recent listens, and more. Dwell is for you. Truth Table listeners can get started with Dwell by going to dwellapp.io slash truthstable to get 10% off of a yearly subscription or 33% off of Dwell for life, y'all, for life. 33% off means that you'll save $50. So make sure you visit dwellapp.io slash truthstable to commit to scripture for the rest of the year and for your life. And we're back, everybody, with our We Gonna Learn Today uh, series, and we are blessed to have Zakia Jackson with us, teaching us all the things that we need to know and correcting some of the things that we thought we knew, which is also a part of learning, right? (laughs) You know, Zakia, I would love for you just to just pontificate a little bit for us about (laughs) something that something that you hinted at a a while back as you were sharing um, about this idea about charter schools in competition, but just just the Mm -hmm. philosophy of competition and the way that I have Mm -hmm. seen people lift that up. um, You know, when we're talking about issues of human flourishing and human dignity, this this idea of of thinking that competition, just like the market will save people. Can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that and how you've how you've seen that philosophy at work in the educational system? And um, and is, is there some some data to that that that's that proves it or and and or how do we combat that? Hmm. Yes, I will pontificate. Um, <laughs> Christina, I I think, you know, it, it, it some of that I'm thinking about the data part at the end. I think there are some people who would provide some compelling data about charter education, right? Mm-hmm. I just I, I think that compelling data tends to be super localized mm. and or super specific to the schools that are doing well, right? Um, and in Washington D.C., we have uh, last I checked, and it's been a little while since I checked, roughly like fifty percent charter. There's a lot of charter in Washington D.C., and I cannot tell that it has significantly raised the output. And by output, I mean like test scores and college acceptance and things like that of traditional neighborhood schools, particularly in the ward that I live in um, and and what we call East of the River here in Washington, D.C. Um I think this notion of competition is is interesting and is not my personal view is that it doesn't always have to be wrong, right? Like there there can be some value in um competition as a driver of human behavior and you know, we want to perform uh and help r- raise up the performance of others, right? through healthy competition. However, Mm. I think sometimes proponents of competition are trying to ignore racism. (laughs) And when you do that, it's not gonna work. If there are systems and things in place that are committed to racist ideals, even if the people perpetuating them don't know the source and the root, right? And Mm -hmm. don't know from whence you came, (laughs) right? Mm-hmm. then competition doesn't fix that. Com- yeah. Competition does not fix a dedication and commitment to white supremacy. <laughs> it doesn't 
uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't fix it. So I think this notion of competition is, is, is short-sighted if there aren't some first things first in place. And then with, with those things in place, I would be interested to see if competition works. I'm not sold on it, but it's not because I don't, it's not because I think competition is evil. It's more so that I think there's some evil things in place as pertains to racism and white mm-hmm. supremacy. Mm-hmm. And we not fixing to fix that y'all Come with on. some little competition. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Cause that ain't no friendly competition now. No. That's a battle right it's there. not. <laughs> it's not. Yeah, that's real that's some warfare right there. Again, it's like to use that example I used at the very beginning. Yes. yes. Trying to be aggressive with this woman who's five feet tall. Like, why aren't you working harder to mm. be five eight? Come on. <laughs> Girl, get out. I'm sure. Like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, this is not I don't mm-hmm. I don't work harder to mm-hmm. be taller than I am. <laughs> Right? I mean, I'm not saying folks don't do that. We do try to be changing our bodies, but right. If if a district has a funding formula that's related to redlining and is inherently racist, mm. then the schools in a particular neighborhood are always going to have less money because the formula is inherently racist. Mm -hmm. And you want to tell those Mm -hmm. children they need to believe in themselves more? And that's the primary issue? Mm. That the children don't believe in themselves yeah. enough? Yeah, that's not oh, a strategy. Okay, okay, <laughs> right. That's not a strategy. Not a strategy. We, we want to. We, we do want to inspire, but that ain't the strategy. <laughs> right, right, exactly. We want children to feel good about themselves, but by actually making them think that everything is on them, on them, right? That's that's wrong. That's gaslighting one on one. I mean, yeah. you know, Zakia, I'm so glad that you brought um, up the cupboard example with our, our five foot sister at the table and our five eight sister at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when you were talking about the difference between, um, you know, equality and equity, I was, you know, what immediately came to mind was COVID-19. Mm. And I'm curious about, you know, we, we know that this, these inequalities um, exist within our educational system in America, and you've laid that case out um, so brilliantly. And I'm wondering, you know, uh, how COVID-19 has exacerbated that? Mm-hmm. Has it improved it? What, what is it? What, what's the landscape? Um, mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about um, how COVID-19's impacted uh, our educational system and, and our babies? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, there's not yet a lot of data on how COVID-19 is impacting students. There is one kind of big report um, by, I believe it's McKinsey, that, that states that the gap is widening, right? That, yes, they're, yes. that, that students are losing a lot, mm-hmm. right? Um, And that came out in November or December. Um, And, you know, it's nice to have the data to reinforce what we already knew. Right. right? right. We can see that this is not not good. I I do want to say as a a relevant aside, I have anecdotally experienced some black mothers, including friends, saying to me that they like having their child at home because he's learning or she's learning yeah, more. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, that's really dependent on your 
on your uh, uh, financial ability and where you are in life and all of that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. If this mom in particular that I'm thinking of is able to get, she quit her job and um, her husband, could, they could afford as a family for that to be the, the case, right? And she's able to give a lot of attention to her black son, better attention than he was getting in his white school, right? Mm-hmm. So there are certainly instances yeah. of that happening. How and it, uh, However, across the board, children are losing a lot in this time. Mm-hmm. Right. And the divide is becoming even greater. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what 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 we see more clearly now is this attention to the digital divide, what people are calling the digital divide. I heard someone else this week call it digital poverty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the truth is that kids needed better digital access before the pandemic happened. <laughs> the pandemic gives rise to it more blatantly, right? Yes. Kids needed it for homework and to study things. They, they needed to be able to look up stuff and not write papers in their phones for those of them who don't have yes. laptops, right, yes. for yes, example. Yes. Um, but now the, the pandemic just shines a light on it even more. And uh, just this week, actually, our uh, at, at expectations, we issued a public comment to the FCC hmm. uh, the, on the importance of digital access and that we believe that it's important that digital access be seen more as a public good than a luxury items for families who can afford it. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so this again brings in this interesting notion of competition how would competition help fix the fact that so many children and families just need access to technology and they need access to broadband and they need access to, to wireless, right? Uh, Competition could be helpful towards the solution, but it's not about like kids needing to be more competitive or schools need to be more competitive, right? Like this is a good that all kids need and all families need to thrive in school, right? So that's a, that's a huge issue. I think another issue is um, funding mm. and schools having enough COVID-related funding to help supplement the learning loss. You know, kids are going to have to have more, kids are going to have to make up is what I'm trying to say. They're, they're, they're going to have to have some extra learning in the summer or some extra something during the school year. And that's going to cost. That's going to cost just in terms of curriculum, figuring out exactly what to do, figuring out program, but it's also going to cost teachers. There's a teacher shortage, right? Yes. We're going to have to be creative about how to have more teachers and how to honor the teachers that are, here now and have been here the whole time, right? Um, And so digital access, COVID funding, COVID-related learning loss are some things that are um, high priorities for us at a policy level right now at my organization um, related to what we're seeing going on. Thank Thank you you so much. You know, Zakiya, I have um, 
my guess is you've had interviews too with people who, particularly if you're talking about hard things, at some point they'll ask you something like, well, what are, what are you looking forward to? Or what gives you hope? <laughs> and you know, what's funny is that we, we probably have asked that question once out of a hundred and plus interviews. And I think because we can sit with like, well, it's just jacked up y'all. Um, but that doesn't mean we're hopeless. I mean, we can talk about how jacked, right. jacked up things are because we actually have hope. But the question I think I would rather ask you is what do, what is at work now that you would love to amplify or see more of from um, from your vantage point and what you know about education in America. What would you say we need to put more into that? We need to fan the flames around that particular those particular programs or skill sets. Yeah, I you know there's a couple of things that I am really intrigued by and hopeful for. I think uh, you know last summer we saw so much happen um, as pertains to defunding the police. Um, I know that that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And I will tell you exactly what I mean. So there's no confusion, (laughs) but I think there's a unique and great opportunity in schools to keep the momentum and energy around less funding for um, balancing the funding that exists for police in schools versus support staff, counselors, nurses, Um, there's, you know, some estimate at least a third of all public school kids have, uh, police, but no counselor, no nurse, no social worker, no school psychologist. That's not good. (laughs) Like the, the, regardless of, of, of where people are at, like police can't be a nurse. Police could not be a school psychologist. Police could not be a counselor, right? SROs cannot do those things. Uh, And so I think there's a great opportunity to continue this defund the police conversation within the context of schools Mm -hmm. and reallocate funding so that there is a better mechanism for which to support students Mm -hmm. in a way in which they have really high need, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then another thing, I'm seeing more conversation around the, the this idea of community schools or trauma-informed schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, essentially, to me, schools that are looking at, at kids, community schools in particular, it's like they're looking at kids as a whole child within a whole system of a community. So how do we have wraparound services accessible at school so that kids who are having health issues more easily have a way to address them. Um, kids that have mental health care needs, again, this relates back to having more counselors and staff in school, right. have a way to ad- address it. But also community schools, and I think uh, trauma-informed schools that are, tr- that are excelling at a, at a high level are engaging parents and listening to parents and helping parents learn about what uh, tr- uh, trauma means for the family and for the for the students as well, and in the school setting, that's exciting to me. And I feel, mm. oh, I feel so strongly. Like y'all, mm. kids are doing the best they can. Mm. Even the kids who work us the most, <laughs> they're still kids. Yeah. Like a fit, whether they're cute in seven or they like look quote unquote grown, because we know how people adultify black women and black children. But whether they're seven or 17, they're still a child. Yes. They're still a child and they need better support. So I'm excited Mm. that people are, I think there's some serious energy around that. 
Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you, Z. I mean, I think, um, you know, uh, part of the reason why we have you at the table is because you're so passionate uh, about um, education equity for our babies um, and very compassionate uh, mm-hmm. toward uh, their needs, the trauma, um, their suffering. You know, they're, they're suffering right along with us under this in this pandemic. And so um, I'm curious about it. I also love that you lifted up earlier on in our um our conversation, the fact that, you know, that you, you, you know, you yourself don't have any, you know, children in this, in, in this, in the systems per se. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I love that you, you're still advocating, you know, for our mm-hmm. babies and you lift up and you take on that language. And I'm wondering if you could talk to our sisters at the table about, um, how they can advocate, like even if they themselves don't have any children, you know? And so, because there's a sense in which when we're going through so much stuff, we're like, okay, I just, I know it's bad, but I just can't take that on. Like, you know, like, like you know, you feel like you got to pick your battles, you know, but I'm there's wondering. There's so many issues. There's so many issues, but I'm wondering if so you can um, teach our, our sisters at the table or encourage them um, on how they can begin to learn more about um, educational inequality, even if they themselves don't have children, even if they themselves don't have children in the in the um, in the school system, um, how they can begin to learn more. Um, how can they advocate? How can they um, begin to lend their voice um, to speak up for our babies? Uh, what? How would one get started? Thank you. That's such a great a great question. Um, and one. Um, I just resonate with the, we trying to fight so many battles. It's hard. <laughs> it is hard. <laughs> we try to fight so many battles yes. at one time. They're all so, interconnected. Ooh, <laughs> it's a they mess. are. It's so a that's mess. the thing. They're all interconnected. It's a lot. Um, one, one thing I would say is, um, <laughs> just to be blunt, if there is a topic that you're more passionate about than education, mm-hmm. it's okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to be embarrassed of that. I, I would suggest that probably there's an education link. Mm. Whatever topic that you are really passionate about as pertains to mm-hmm. justice and mm-hmm. equity and liberation mm-hmm. for our peoples, mm-hmm. there's probably a link. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's probably manifesting in the public and private and whatever schools you're, you know, people are in is mm-hmm. manifesting there as well. Mm-hmm. So maybe try to try to connect whatever you do to whatever you're already passionate about. I think that that's great. Like, I'm not here to tell you like becomes the key. You know what I mean? But, but, but as much as you can integrate the things that you're passionate about so that the load is not quite so heavy. Mm. on you sis because we are already trying to save all the worlds in so many ways as black women right so so that's one little you know piece and um i I think there's just there's so many layers like at at my organization for example um expectations project we help people send letters to their representatives right and that doesn't take very long because it's a form letter we tell you what the topic is. You, you know, you can go through and edit it if you want, but that's like a pretty, that's a lower lift, right? As long as you are allowing yourself not to be consumed in guilt and, and, and not to feel like you have to do everything right now. It, 
It's okay if you can't do everything right now. Can you send a letter with a group of 10,000 other people sending a letter? That's mm-hmm. really powerful, okay. actually. You know, that's really powerful. So, so I would say like plugging into groups like the Expectations Project online or, or others who allow you to make lower lifts is one way to do it based on your capacity, right? And, and then another um, thing you can do beyond that is, is, is start to inform yourself more about the state of education in your local context. Mm. It's really helpful if you know what's going on in your local context, which again, we try to help with that at expectations. But honestly, I got 11 nieces and nephews, y'all. <laughs> I can learn a lot <laughs> about local context by having conversations with them that maybe will be good for me anyways, because I want to be nourished by my nieces and nephews. And how can you incorporate an advocacy mindset and advocacy gathering? Like you Mm. need data to do good advocacy. So how can you incorporate that into how you're living your life anyway? That that is what I would want to especially encourage Black women. Some other people, I might ask you to do a different level (laughs) of things. But for Black women, we're already fairly engaged. We're already um, fairly involved in our communities. And so instead of seeing education advocacy as a um, burden that you have to take on more so, how can I incorporate some things into what? Girl, I know you are already doing stuff, right? Like, I know. I know you're living things. You know what I'm saying? I know you're (laughs) making food for Miss So-and-so and and you got to go drop it off. You might just ask her, hey, mother so-and-so, what what have you been noticing about the schools in the neighborhood? Mm-hmm. Like, again, I think gathering information and then engaging um, in, in things um, where people are helping you mm-hmm. get it done instead of feeling like you have to go start a... Uh, you have to go gather a group of moms to do something. Now, if you want to do that, I can help you too <laughs> with that. But that's not what you have to do to mm-hmm. be faithful. You you can be faithful in a lot of ways. And I want to encourage us to know that. Beautiful, Zakia. Well, we want to thank you for being faithful. How about that, sister? Thank oh, you. Give me your flowers <laughs> while you yet live, okay? Oh, so she can enjoy the fragrance that they give. That they give. <laughs> That's right. You know, uh, we have learned a ton, okay, um, you. from you. And I just, I'm just so grateful for your, um, for your work and what you do um, for our, for our children. It, it matters, you know. And I think so. I, I, I know you know that, but sometimes when you're in the trenches and you're just like, what am I? It does this matter? You know, will this make a difference? And it does. And I, I, I know we are so blessed by the gems that you have dropped in the tools that you've given us um, here at the table. And I would just love for you to talk to our sisters and tell them um, about what you've got going on, any projects that they should um, uh, follow uh, that you're, that you're working on and how they can follow you. If, if you want them to follow you, child, <laughs> you know, listen, listen, we learned some things. We learned some things in 2020. Okay. 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 <laughs> We, we believe in the block ministry. All right? We believe in the, the delete and mute ministry. Listen, all right, in the mind your business ministry. <laughs> hey, blocking you blesses me. So anyway, this is your time. <laughs> Talk to 
sisters. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I will say that we're going to have a project come out later this year um, in the summer called Let a Child Be a Child. It's related to um, counselors and not criminalization, right? It's related to having more support staff in schools. Uh, your very own Miss Akimini is involved in this project. <laughs> We're really excited about it. I won't say a lot more, but I just um, ask people to be on the lookout for it when it comes out. You can follow my organization um, on Facebook at the Expectations Project is what we're called at, on Twitter at at Expect Project. Um, and then you can follow me on Twitter as well, where I talk about everything related to being a black lady and <laughs> a lot about um, education as well. And um, I, when I joined Twitter, I did not understand how things work. So I decided to use my whole God given name as my handle. It is. <laughs> Go ahead and tell people. <laughs> it is at Zakia Z A K I Y A Naima N A E M A Jack J A C K. So um, that's me on Twitter and um, would love to engage, would love to help, you know, answer questions if people have questions and provide some more support and direction. Awesome. Ooh. Thank you so much, Zakia, for sitting at the table with us. We so appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you both. It's a real honor. Awesome. Absolutely. Our and pleasure to learn from you. Yes. And of course, we want to thank our sisters for sitting at the mm -hmm. table with us this week. <laughs> Let's keep the conversation going. Tweet us your thoughts about We Gonna Learn Today, Educational Inequity with Zakia Jackson. Uh, now, you want to use the hashtag Truth Table. Um, and we want to let y'all know, Black women, did y'all know that we have a Black Women's Discipleship group on Facebook now? Make sure to follow Truth Table on Facebook and join our Facebook group today. Bring your homegirls, all right? Um, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Truth Table, or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account so y'all can send your love offerings to patreon.com slash truth table or you can bless us at our paypal which is paypal.me slash truth table truth table is made possible in part by potistery studios visit potistery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment our producer for the show is joshua heath our executive producer is bo york and we have been your hosts kemini michelle and christina we'll see you soon on the next truth table bye y'all